For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This, of course, is the opening sentence of our epistle lesson today. We probably all ran right by that earlier part of the sentence, eager to focus on the second part, the glory. That's not terribly um, unusual for us humans. But today I would like to focus on the first part, on the suffering. It's not a terribly fashionable topic for a sermon, is it? Particularly not a popular subject in our decadent age where the search is always for something to give pleasure, to distract from thinking too deeply about anything important, to take away pain. To avoid, in other words, the very suffering so many people indeed are experiencing in our world today. Suffering is everywhere in our culture, but as a culture, we ignore it. The opioid epidemic is overwhelming our society. Suicidal ideation is statistically off the charts in the last 10 years, with the COVID years seemingly pushing it over the edge of the cliff. Christians hear much in the New Testament about suffering, if we are willing to listen. Jesus was not avoiding the reality of suffering during his ministry. Of course, not for himself, but also he speaks of it. St. Matthew records him saying, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Suffering at some level is always a way of life for Christians. It looks different, I'm sure, for all of us. In some instances around the world today, it looks very similar. It looks like physical torment and death. In our society, the suffering is going to be a very different form. But don't think for a moment that you won't have suffering if you follow Jesus. Yet in the midst of this suffering... We also have the theme of hope show up today, seen in verse 9 of our psalm for today. For thou, Lord, art my hope. Thou hast set thine house of defense very high. Our first lesson today from Lamentations talks about suffering, and it is instructive. Turn with me to page 555 of the Pew Bibles, if you will, to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Page 555, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. And again, we have that theme of hope. One commentator notes that the Lamentations' unbroken mood of despair thus far in the text was displaced in these verses by a beautiful affirmation of hope in spite of suffering. And the basis for renewed hope is God's great love. 
which we don't tend to see in that text of her reading the New King James. But let me read it for you in the English, English Standard Version. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy has never come to an end. God's love is the basis for hope. That is just what Jeremiah is pushing his readers to in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Our commentator continues, in the midst of chaos and depression, the poet revealed a deep faith in the trustworthiness of God. Great is your faithfulness. This word is connected to the word amen, which means so be it, the word that closes prayers. Its meaning in English is connected to truth, faith, and trustworthiness. Continuing with the text at verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. We are to wait upon God. He is provident, he is merciful, and moreover, he cares for us. Another commentator notes that the text of verse 26 can be expressed, we should wait in silence. Silence is an expression of the author for is an expression for the author of Lamentations for resignation to the will of God. Psalm 62 starts, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. We see the theme again in Psalm 37, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Did you hear all that? Because as Americans, we don't want to listen to those types of texts. It's not easy for Americans to wait patiently. We want to fix the problem and move forward. And there are times when it is the right thing to fix the problem and move forward. There are other times, however, so often, in fact, where we are called to be patient, to wait upon God, to understand that the suffering of the present moment is for a purpose, for our growth, for our maturity, perhaps for multiple other purposes that we do not see because we don't have the mind of God in our mind. God does not inflict suffering upon us as a delight to himself. He does not treat his children with evil intent any more than a human father disciplines his children with delight and enjoyment. The Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. We see two grounds of comfort in these verses, in these three verses. First, the trouble is only for a time, and God will have compassion again. And two, God does not afflict in a malicious spirit. God does not afflict willingly. 
in verse 33. Literally, willingly means from his heart. So in our suffering, we can be patient because our sufferings cannot begin to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, says our epistle lesson. We also know that God is working in us through suffering to grow us and to make us more worthy vessels of that honor and glory. We remember that our calling is to so often be patient and silent, waiting for God to do his work in us, in our situation, in our context, in our culture. And we can be patient and wait for God to succor us, to save us, and that indeed God has no malicious intent in our suffering and will redeem us, and that suffering is not forever. In that reality and understanding, may I suggest that we read our gospel lesson. Understanding God's mercy and grace towards us and towards our suffering. Let us extend God's mercy to others. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. God has mercy on us, and uses our suffering for his glory and our growth. He redeems us from our suffering and will not allow it to last forever. Can we perhaps seek to have the same attitude towards others? Can we seek to help restore and encourage those who suffer? Can we seek to relieve pain, to weep with those who weep, to build up the faith of our brothers and sisters, to edify and together with one another seek joy and peace for us all. That patient abiding during suffering should teach us all to love with humility. You've come out the other side of suffering stronger and more mature. You've grown. My friends, it has very little to do with you and everything to do with the love and faithfulness of our great God. Keep that in mind and walk with humility, realizing what God has accomplished in you and being thankful for it. Imitate God's love and faithfulness both towards God and towards your spouse, your children, your parents, your neighbor, your fellow Christian in our church, your fellow Christian out of our church, imitate God towards all those around you. Amen.